0: Welcome everyone to another episode of the NBA Podcast. I'm Brian Toporek and today we are finishing our division previews. We're wrapping up with the Pacific Division. Before we get into that, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today is not my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. He had family obligations, so instead we have a very special guest, Gerald Bourget, a writer and editor at The Step Back. Gerald, how's it going, man?
1: Doing great, Brian. How about you? I'm doing well.
0: Did I totally butcher your last name or was that good?
1: No, you actually nailed it right on the yes. money.
0: <laughs> yes, there we go. Good stuff. Uh, Gerald, before we get underway, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work?
1: Yeah, it's uh, at my full name, G-E-R-A-L-D-B-O-U-R-G-U-E-T. That's why it was so impressive. He nailed the last name there. <laughs> um, and uh, also, I'm um, you know obviously writing on The Step Back and fansided.com slash NBA.
0: Yes, there's a lot of good season preview content coming out um, at the Step Back over the next couple weeks. The, the yep. team previews especially, you guys came up with a lot of fun <laughs> questions that I am I am now diving into. Um, yeah. so, so it's a very unique spin on the normal team previews. So give Gerald a follow and check out the Step Back as well. Uh, Gerald, let's start with the Golden State Warriors here. They've been to five straight finals, but of course they suffered some big losses, uh, frankly, during the finals with Klay Thompson going down and Kevin Durant going down. Then they lose Kevin Durant this summer, lose Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala. It's a totally new team. They did pick up D'Angelo Russell, and it was a double sign-and-trade um, with KD. So let's start with Russell. How do you see him fitting with Curry this year?
1: I think that'll actually be a pretty interesting fit. I think there'll definitely be an adjustment process for both of them um, just because they're both used to operating with the ball. But I think they've both shown enough potential off the ball that they can make this work until Clay Thompson is back. Um, you know, D'Angelo Russell shot, I think, 39% on catch and shoot threes last year. We all know Curry is dynamic in that role, in any shooting <laughs> role. So I, I think they'll be able to make it work. Defensively is where I would worry about them. Um, you know, obviously Clay gets the tougher backcourt assignment. That's not going to be a luxury that they have this year until Clay is back. And even when he's back, we don't know what percentage he'll be at. So mm-hmm. um, I think for them offensively, they'll definitely figure it out. Defensively is where I would worry the most.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, they still have Draymond Green to cover up some mistakes, but otherwise, I mean, losing Iggy in that role, and obviously KD too, like you lost three of your four best defenders, I would say, from last season. So Mm -hmm. a lot to make up on that end of the court for sure. But yeah, I mean, the fact that Steph obviously is such a great shooter, but D'Angelo as well, you really saw some progress. You know, he started off his NBA career slower than you would expect from three but he's really picked it up these last few years so I'm optimistic about the offensive fit do you think Russell is a long-term piece for the Warriors or do you think it was more just we need to get something for KD and then when Clay comes back we'll reevaluate this thing
1: yeah I I think it was very much a short-term plug-in and a very good one at that because you know that that's a big contract that he has but teams are still going to be interested in him when clay is back i I think it's an insurance play on their part it's to keep that window open to make sure that they stay within that playoff picture this year while they're recovering but i just don't see how when clay comes back if he is back at 100 percent moving forward how they make room for, you know, that's a very expensive six-man, if that's the case. (laughs) Right,
0: yeah. It's hard to have three guards on max contracts, so (laughs) I'm with you. It feels like D'Angelo is going to be one of those guys. I don't know if he moves at this year's trade deadline. I guess it depends on where the Warriors are in the standings and how close Clay is to coming back. He's already kind of said he's not coming back before the All-Star break. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if... Know, maybe next summer, D'Angelo, especially given the weak free agent class, maybe teams are trying to line up trades as their primary method of improvement next summer because it's Anthony Davis and a whole bunch of mid-30 guys.
1: Right. <laughs> uh, Absolutely.
0: The, the Warriors also they picked up Willie Cauley-Stein, which was a nice discount grab for them, but he has mm-hmm. suffered an ankle injury that is going to sideline him. Throughout at least October, um, how do you think that affects their front court rotation to start the year?
1: I mean, I think it it has more of an impact than you know you would guess because at this point, Kevon Looney is he says he's healthy, but he's still maintaining. I think I read something about how he's still going through constant rehab because it's something that you have to keep an eye on and keep rehabbing. Um, so he'll he'll be their starting center but behind him like what do they have at center like i feel like they'd have to go at this point Draymond at center um Omari can't Omari Spellman can't really play center i don't think as a backup on a team with playoff aspirations right. um i think they brought Marquise Chris in for like a training camp invite that's not going to pan out unfortunately <laughs> like I I, I I i like Marquise is a good kid at heart and i feel bad for him but i, I just don't think he's He's not not able to contribute to a winning basketball team at this point. So I feel like their only solution right now is to go small and really embrace that, as they have in the past, um, but not as much during the regular season. So it's going to be interesting. They're already, you know, picking at their depth a little bit, which is an issue for a team that lost so much talent over the summer. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you wouldn't expect to say that Willie Cauley-Stein is, like, such a impact <laughs> injury for the team right. that's made it to five straight finals, but you're right. You look at that front court depth chart, and it gets thin quickly, so it's definitely mm-hmm. an early season storyline to monitor for the Warriors, and just in general, I mean, again, you know, not only did they lose KD, but losing Iggy, Sean Livingston, like, they lost a lot of I mean, their, their bench was already thinning out and that just kind of happens when you have a big three, big four model and sustain it for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, you're relying on a bunch of either guys you picked up over the summer when Colley Stein comes back, Alec Burks, uh, Chris, if he pans out, I guess, <laughs> but otherwise it's like Alfonso McKinney and Jacob Evans, like guys who we just haven't seen that much out of. Who do you mm-hmm. think in this supporting cast steps up this year?
1: That's a good question. I had two guys circled um, just because I was kind of disappointed in Glenn Robinson, the third, during his stint last year. Um, You know, that was viewed as a value signing and it just never really panned out. Um, But I feel like they need one of the younger guys to step up. And I guess Alfonso McKinney is not a younger guy, but he's a newer guy. Mm -hmm. So they need either him or Jacob Evans to step up because. Evans didn't really do much his rookie season either and he was kind of viewed as that uh, potential long-term Iggy replacement well that day is here so (laughs) they they definitely need help on the wing obviously losing KD losing Iguodala even losing Livingston a guy that can play around on the defensive end and guard multiple positions like they need production out of Evans on the defensive end and they need him to maybe hit a couple of threes this year Um, I think McKinney is the the first choice because he'll he's ahead of him on the depth chart but man they really are lacking depth on that wing this year
0: yeah yeah for sure i mean it's gonna be a lot of curry and russell of course but like i don't know where they get that complimentary scoring or you know maybe it's they just don't have a third guy who's gonna go off for 15 plus every night it's like they'll just do it by committee and one night you'll get it from looney and the next night you'll get it from alec burks and the next night you'll get it from jacob evans and maybe that's sustainable over the course of a whole season but i'm also wondering if we just see draymond green take on a much bigger offensive role or a bigger role as a scorer i mean obviously he's been a great passer for years um but he he definitely took a back seat these past couple seasons especially once kd came to town you know he averaged 7.4 points per game last season (laughs) I don't think he's gonna necessarily do that uh this year I think they need more out of him and you know we we look back a couple years ago the year before KD came to town he had 14 points nine and a half rebounds 7.4 assists like he is capable of that kind of production it, I think you know the big storyline with the Warriors is like how much do they want to tax Steph and Dre during the regular season like you know, yeah, yeah, sure, Dre can do that, but he averaged 34.7 minutes a game that season. Can he do that this year coming off of five straight finals? I don't know.
1: Right, and and it sounds weird to refer to him as a member of the supporting cast, but when KD and Clay were both healthy, that's kind of what he was. Like you alluded to it, his numbers were really it was like seven seven and seven across the board (laughs) like they're gonna need a lot more out of him in the playmaking department in the rebounding department defense and scoring especially like that year that you were talking about he shot almost 39 percent from three so he was Mm -hmm. a capable floor spacer that year and that's you look at his career stats that's really the only year that he was above 33 34 percent from three they're gonna need him to spread the floor confidently make those shots and uh, you're right, an uptick in minutes is coming for both him and Curry. So it's they're not going to have the luxury that they've had in the past few seasons of just breezing through the regular season. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, Dre even came out and said, you know, he toward the end of the year, he was like, yeah, I was out of shape the whole year. Like, I went <laughs> on. <laughs> in March, I went on a diet because it was like, okay, I just needed to get through the regular season, and now I actually have to start trying. So. Right. <laughs> He presumably will come into training camp with a little in a little better bit better shape because he knows the opportunity that lies ahead of him and that he knows that the team's gonna need more out of him. But, you know, in general, like the Warriors, I think they're still fine, but I'm not a hundred percent confident that they're gonna make the playoffs this year. Like I, I think they're definitely in that mix, but I wouldn't, you know, bet my entire life savings on them. Where do you stand on where they are in the new Western Conference hierarchy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I look at the depth chart and it really concerns me both on the wing and in the front court behind Looney and Draymond. But at the same time, I just, like, in my heart, I can't pick against a team that has Curry, Draymond, and D'Angelo Russell. Right. I, I don't know how they're going to figure it out, but I feel like there's too much talent and, you know, Steve Kerr, for all of the criticizing that we do about his coaching in the playoffs, he's still a very good coach and especially for the regular season. Like this is another Spurs like team that just will churn out wins in -hmm. the regular season. So I'm not, (laughs) I don't have the clear picture on how they're going to do it, but I I feel like there's still a, a, not a lock, but they're going to make the playoffs. I feel like.
0: Yeah, I think it's fair to say that they have the inside track on one of those last few spots, but it, you know, as we alluded to, the depth chart is very, very top-heavy, even more so than it has been in past years, so one injury to Curry, Russell, or Green, and this thing goes bottom-up pretty quickly, I
1: think. Yep, I would agree with that. Yeah,
0: but I, I am excited to see Steph back just fully unleashed again. Like <laughs> yes. He could have just a monster, monster season, which would yes. be... Should be fun. I actually wrote about him recently at the Basketball Writers, because uh, I broke down like the MVP race in general and like who could stop Giannis from repeating. And you guys can check that out, Bballwriters Use the promo code the NBA Pod for ten percent off your daily, monthly, or annual subscription. And Steph, it's like to me, it's like Steph and Nikola Jokic are the two guys. They're they're the the only two guys that are really standing in the way of Giannis repeating his MVP because mm. they're going to need Steph to do, you know, like a 30 point per game average if they're going to win 45 plus games. So, I'm very mm. excited to see fully unleashed Steph again after <laughs> a couple of years of, you know, having to mm. toe the line with KD a little bit.
1: Right. I mean, that's like we only got to see it in flashes whenever KD was out and it was always a joy to watch. So, it's going to be it's going to be fun to see Steph against the world, especially now that he's a few years older and just fully unleashed again. It's going to be great.
0: Yeah, for sure. I forget who said this on Twitter, but someone the other day pointed out, like, this is the first season, and I can't remember how long, where there isn't a team who I'd be upset that won the title. Like, every team, <laughs> even the Warriors, right? Like, the mm-hmm. the Warriors for the past couple of years, it's just been like... the Warriors again but now they're back to being like the fun scrappy underdogs that we all fell in love with in (laughs) the mid-2010s so I'm excited to see this Warriors too
1: absolutely I mean that's yeah there really is no because there's no clear-cut favorite like any team winning would be a good story this year it's great
0: right I I feel like Houston is the one that people would push back against but personally I would like to see Russ and Harden (laughs) win a ring so
1: oh yeah I would love that (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Maintaining your lawn the right way this fall Starts with Lowe's Because Lowe's has the grass seed and fertilizer Perfect for your growing area And the know-how to help you do it right And a great savings Like up to $15 off select Scott's grass seed And save $5 on a 12.5 pound bag Of Scott's Turf Builder Winter Guard Fall Lawn Food Now $14.97 For all your fall projects Do it right for less Start with Lowe's Valid through 10-2 Selection and availability vary by location U.S. only
0: Let's go into, perhaps, the title favorite going into the year. The Los Angeles Clippers, who, of course, won the offseason by getting not only Kawhi Leonard, but Paul George as well. They also made a bunch of good value signings on the fringes, and they have one of the best depth charts in the NBA. We don't know what they're going to look like. So, Gerald, who would you start next to Kawhi and Paul George. Once you know, Paul George is going to miss the start of the year. He's come out and said he's still recovering from the shoulder surgery he had. Sounds like he's not going to be back until November. But once Kawhi and George are back, who are you putting in the starting lineup next to those guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, obviously Patrick Beverly's a no-brainer, um, especially with Lou Williams just owning that six-man role, being able to help out as a closer. Um, I think you keep that the way that it is uh after that it gets a little dicey because i think in the regular season you start ibaka Zubac. he showed really good stuff for the clippers during the regular season last year um i think in the playoffs is where you'll run into problems with his defense and rim protection but for the regular season they have more than enough defense between beverly Kawhi, and paul george to make up for that um at the power forward spot that's uh that's a little bit trickier i kind of lean towards Jamichael Green and I wonder if you can play him as a small ball five during the playoffs to make up for Zubox's deficiencies on that end Um, but you know at the same time I kind of feel like like Landry Shamit should also be in there somewhere. <laughs> right. So so it's hard. Like, do you want Kawhi or Paul George logging minutes as a small ball four, or do you want to just go with this all expansive wingspan lineup, like to strike terror in people defensively? I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting question to ask, I guess, especially with the load management storyline that we've all talked about.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, that might be the, ultimate answer is that we might not see Kawhi and Paul George play that many games together during the regular season so maybe it's a non-issue for Doc Rivers but yeah I mean I agree with you Lou Williams has to stay in the second unit you can't break up him and Trez Harrell Mm -hmm. uh and Pat like the the defensive potential of Beverly Leonard and George is just so outrageous like (laughs) it might not matter who you have starting at center because you're not going to be able to get within 15 feet of the basket
1: right we're gonna Uh, see a bunch of teams just resort to old school post-ups just to try and (laughs) score on the kazoo like that that might be the only thing you can do against this
0: clippers team like you can't put the ball on the floor because no you have leonard on one end and paul george on the other it's like you're you're, they're just gonna if they don't lead the league in transition opportunities i'm gonna be shocked but yeah Yeah, I mean, I I would like to see Shamit selfishly, just because I love Shamit, and I Mm -hmm. still wish he was a sixer. Um, I I think you do, having that spacing element that he provides is only going to further stretch the floor, and it would be a nice compliment. But Doc Rivers has a lot of options to play around with, clearly.
1: Yeah, I mean, personally, for the regular season, I was assuming that Paul George and Kawhi aren't taking, you know, every other night off, like, switching roles every night like start (laughs) small forward for the night Uh, assuming they're actually playing together for most of the season I would start Beverly Shamit uh, the two superstars on the wing and then Zubac at the five and then you've got you've got like Maurice Harkless Jermichael Green all these Rodney Magruder like all Mm -hmm. Lou Will Montrez like all these guys coming off the bench that is that's going to be hard to beat even with a couple of guys like you know Shamit's kind of a defensive liability at this point but like you said the shooting he provides the spacing they don't need that much defense from that two spot if they have him out there like they're they're pretty much set in that regard so right yeah yeah
0: for sure they'll they'll just hide Shamit on the worst offensive player and say you know (laughs) you you have three elite defenders otherwise i think their perimeter defense is something i'm definitely not concerned about this year um If, if I'm going to poke holes in the Clippers, and it's hard because you just went through the death chart. like This is not only has possibly the best duo in the NBA, but it's one of the NBA's deeper teams. But there are two things that stand out to me as possible flaws. One is passing because mm. Beverly, Leonard, and George can all pass, and Lou Williams can pass too, but none of them are elite passers by any means. And you saw it in the playoffs especially the Sixers in that Raptors series really tried to force Leonard to be a passer which worked to some extent at least (laughs) compared to you know you couldn't really stop the guy but Mm. that did at least if you sent a double at him he it did have to give the ball away and maybe it'll be a non-issue because he has Paul George next time this time but Mm. are you concerned at all about you know their their lack of a true like Chris Paul like point guard
1: I I would say I'm skeptical about how it works out, but I, I still think there's too much talent here for it to not work. And they do have a couple of you know, guys that have never really been primary creators like Lou Will, um, you know, Patrick Beverly, Paul George, those guys can playmake, but they've always been secondary or tertiary like playmakers. I, I think they can make that work just because they have Kawhi who can score at any time and Paul George who can spread the floor and will benefit from all the attention that Kawhi gets and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think they have enough to make it work. Um, you know, especially that Lou Will, Montrez, Harrell pick and roll, like that's still unstoppable. I just... I I do wonder who their leading assist man is going to (laughs) be. Right, I I feel like they need someone to kind of step up in that regard. Maybe it's Beverly, but um, I I just think there's too much talent and too much floor spacing, too much just a a great supporting cast for it to not matter as much. Yeah.
0: No, I'm with you. It it wouldn't surprise me if they're one of the lowest in terms of assists, Mm -hmm. but I think because Leonard and George are so adept at creating off the dribble it just might not matter and maybe it just turns into both of those guys can create off their dribble and they kick out if they're double teamed at that point maybe that's mm. the best way to do it but yeah it wouldn't like i don't think anyone on this team is averaging 8 plus assists this year that would <laughs>
1: no. that
0: would surprise me
1: yeah i think even something in the 6 range would be enough to lead this clippers team <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next year
0: honestly i think you're right the other thing that stands out to me is the front court defense. You mentioned Zubac as you know we can start him during the regular season, but once we get to the playoffs, they he might get abused in pick and rolls. You have Mantras, Harrell, and Jamichael Green as small ball five options, but you, you don't have like an a do it all center. And you know in the playoffs you could be running into the likes of a. Rudy Gobert, or Clint Capella, or if you look ahead to a potential finals matchup, you know, a Brooke Lopez or a Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. How concerned are you about their front court defense heading into the year?
1: I mean, in the playoffs, I might be a little bit more concerned. I think they have the small ball capabilities and the versatility to make teams pay on the other end. Mm-hmm. But like you said, but I mean, I think this applies for any team in the West this year, especially it really is going to come down to matchups and which mm-hmm. path which path you get to the finals. Because you, you said it, like, in the West, you could have a go-bear. I think offensively, he won't make you pay as much. But if you're up against a Nikola Jokic or mm-hmm. even an Anthony Davis, like, who do they have that's going to check Anthony Davis? Like, that's a tall task for Jermichael Green. It's a near-impossible one for Montrez Harrell. Like, they don't have guys that can match up with someone like that so right that that's going to be a very interesting dynamic come playoff time I I think like I said Paul George and Kawhi Leonard can play small they can play the four and they can hurt teams that way on the other end but you're right like that lack of rim protection they're going to need Zubac to make some tremendous strides in that regard um, if if that's not going to be a concern that is I would say that's their probably biggest Achilles heel heading into the year
0: yeah i i totally agree with that and yes i mean and anthony davis like maybe the solution is just let him go for 35 and (laughs) you know at least you have Kawhi and paul george to handle lebron and kuzma and like Mm -hmm. you know fine let let davis go off contain lebron and hope you could get like rajon rondo to take 20 shots (laughs) right maybe that's your best strategy against the lakers but you know, heading into the year, I feel like going into free agency, the 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 picture, the title picture felt especially wide open once we saw Kevin Durant was likely to leave uh, mm-hmm. the Warriors. You know, then the Clippers get these two guys, and I feel like a lot of people quickly cemented them. As the tentative favorite, not overwhelmingly so, like the Warriors have been for the past couple of years, but, you know, in the wide open race, they seem to have the pole position as of now um do you think they are the finals favorite or the the title favorite right now um and who do you see as their biggest threats this year
1: yeah i mean i think right now you would have to take one of the la teams as the title favorite even though they have a tougher path to the finals like i in a playoff series it's just hard to bet against a combo of LeBron James and Anthony Davis or Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's like last year, Paul George, people forget, but before his shoulder injury, like Mm -hmm. Paul George was right there with Giannis and James Harden. Maybe he's like a two to their one a and one B in that MVP race, but he was having an incredible season. And if he can shake off that shoulder injury, like they have arguably the two best wings in the NBA on their same roster like it's it's unfair. Yeah. So I I think I would put the Clippers at at the top right now. I think their biggest their biggest competition would either be in the west it'd be the Lakers and in the east just because of the matchup problems. Mm-hmm. And in the east I would probably go with you know honestly you can't go wrong with Bucks or Sixers just because Sixers they have in B that would be a huge issue for the Clippers and the Bucks like the Bucks are good. I, I know they lost Brock Brogdon, but they're going to be very good again this year. And, and if Giannis even has a regular mid range jumper, like that's mm-hmm. <laughs> yikes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could throw
0: Kawhi and Paul George at Giannis, but Giannis mm-hmm. is bigger than both of those guys and literally no one can stop him. So mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, I, I almost hope, I mean, I'm excited to see the Clippers even in the regular season. Like it, it, I'd love to see them in the finals against one of those teams too cuz I think it would be a fascinating series but mm-hmm. you know even the regular season just given how many teams went, underwent massive overhauls this summer it's going to be so much fun to see like how these matchups play out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that is what is so exciting about this season is it really like, every year we go into it with, like, two, maybe three teams that were, like, they, they're they going to win the title this year. And you usually, right. you usually still have a presumptive favorite that if they don't win, like, something went wrong. Like, there was an injury or it was a massive upset. Like, mm-hmm. this year there are, like, seven to ten teams that could win it all realistically. <laughs> like, right. it's incredible. And so I would say the Clippers are the favorite, but, like, that margin is so thin. <laughs>
0: For sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is not a season where, like, if you gave me X team versus the field, I'm taking the field every single time. Like, there right, is not, <laughs> there, there is not a Warriors-esque favorite like there has been in past years, which is again yeah, that's what makes this season so exciting. It is so wide open. Mm-hmm. Let's go into the Lakers now. So we'll stay in L. A. And obviously, the big storyline with them is they got Anthony Davis after. <laughs> Their failed attempts at the trade deadline destroyed their team chemistry. Uh, Mm. They ended up shipping out a bunch of draft picks, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, get LeBron his sidekick. They also, during the offseason, realized their plan to surround him with playmakers who couldn't shoot was a bad idea. Who knew? Mm. Who could have seen that coming? (laughs) So they bring in Danny Green, they bring in Quinn Cook, re-sign Catavius Caldwell-Pope, add Avery Bradley as well. Let's start with LeBron and AD, because we talked about them, we were mentioning the Clippers. How do you see those two guys fitting together? And do you think this, is AD the best player that LeBron has ever played with?
1: Yes, 100% yes. And I feel like I need to qualify that because... You know, there's a difference between best and greatest when people talk Mm -hmm. about like the best players ever and the greatest players ever. Like, I think, like, for example, Michael Jordan, I feel like he is the greatest player ever because of the accomplishments, accolades, championships, all that stuff, all the stuff we measure success by. Mm. LeBron might be the best player we've ever seen. And I feel like that distinction is important. Dwayne Wade, greatest player LeBron's ever played with. Anthony Davis, probably the best. He's never had a talent like that because even when he teamed up with wade like wade was no longer in his like you know soul ass kicking prime like he was right he wasn't flash as much at that point especially in the later years of the heatles so i think anthony davis is definitely the best player he's ever played with especially if he stays healthy um i think they're actually going to be a very good fit together just because of that and because they actually went out and got a couple of shooters that can space the floor. Um, I'm very. I really wish that they didn't bring back Rajon Rondo for their sake. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what the point of Rondo is, unless he's a- <laughs> unless he's a backup point guard, and even then, he's he's just too domineering of the ball on a team that already has its lead playmaker, and it's like rim rolling big guy that's just gonna wreak mm-hmm. havoc inside. Um, so I don't get the point of Rondo. He's just a guy that clogs up the spacing and hoards the ball. But I I really do think they're going to fit well together outside of that. Um, LeBron's never had a pick and roll partner of that caliber. He had a pick and pop guy with Chris Bosh, but Anthony Davis can kind of do that. Not as much from three, but like he's, he's going to ease the load so much on LeBron, help him save his gears. And hopefully, like he said, push him on the defensive end because LeBron, LeBron honestly needs that at this stage. Like, we can talk about how injuries derailed their season last year, but it was bound to fall apart no matter what, if that was the defensive level he was going to play at all season. Like, it was right. it was going to collapse in on itself. So, if he holds him accountable, which will be a very interesting <laughs> dynamic if he does, <laughs> like, that that's could be fascinating. And I feel like for all the talk about how Anthony Davis needs to play center, he's still a damn good power forward. So... Mm-hmm. I feel like come playoff time, they'll switch him over to where he truly shines at the five. And at that point, like good luck stopping a LeBron James, Anthony Davis pick and roll with two or three shooters around them.
0: Yeah, for real, for real. And and I'm glad you brought up Rondo because I know he's been a sore spot among a lot of (laughs) Lakers Twitter as well. Uh, They share your same opinions about how he fits best with this team and why they even brought it <laughs> back in the first place right <laughs> so what would your ideal lakers five-man lineup be
1: oh man that's a good question because i because you know they're probably going to start rondo and clog everything up they're yeah. probably they're going to start a a nominal center next to Anthony Davis for some stupid reason (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're good like that's two of their five spots that are already cramped by spacing and Anthony Davis like he shoots threes now he's adding it but he's still it's not there yet right so uh, my ideal lineup would be you give in to the role that LeBron has played his whole year LeBron is your de facto point guard you have Kyle Kuzma out there you have Anthony Davis out there you have Danny Green out there and maybe you have Avery Bradley out there. Like, that is a very good floor spacing and defensive lineup that's hard to score on. I, I think that is their go-to lineup come playoff time, especially mm-hmm. if Avery Bradley proves, like, last year with the Clippers was not what I am now. <laughs> right. Uh, but I, I feel like that would be – that is a really tough lineup to stop. And it's one even the Clippers would have problems with, I feel like. Mm. Um just that versatility, that shooting, that defense—like that—that's my go-to lineup for them. Yep, I a hundred percent agree. That's the exact same lineup I would yeah. go with as well.
0: No, I I think you're right. And Avery Bradley, for what it's worth, has been drawing rave reviews in training camp so far. I know it has. Yes. Yes. I know it's very early, and the Lakers hype machine is out. Like. <laughs> Dave McMenamin the other day had that story that was like, the starters dominated the second unit so much right. that they rested LeBron. And it's like, well, I hope so. Right. Yeah. I was like, wow,
1: they beat Taylor Horton Tucker and the ghost of Demarcus Cousins by 40. That's great. Cool. Right. Yeah. Oh,
0: the third Antetokounmpo brother couldn't stop LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked. But, but yeah, I mean, like, Brad, I'm completely on board with you as LeBron should be the point guard. And. Ron, like that's perfect. Send Rondo into the second unit. He could be your backup guard. Cause like right. who are you relying on right now? Quinn Cook or Avery Bradley is your backup point guard.
1: Right, if, and I mean like that would be that would make for a dynamic second unit too. If they had Rondo out there, Dwight Howard, like that could be a fun. They could Rondo could give life to Dwight Howard and vice versa at the most random stages of their careers (laughs) it it could happen and then like they have they could have shooting they have Troy Daniels they have Jared Dudley off the bench Quinn Cook like they would have depth they would have and KCP too like they would have accompanying talent I just don't get why they're gonna wind up with Rajon Rondo as a starting point guard on opening night it kills me (laughs) yeah
0: it's gonna be infuriating but you can only hope Frank Vogel comes to his senses at some point I mean the one silver lining is that he values defense so if Bradley really is as tenacious defensively as he used to be that will hopefully give him the edge at some point over Rondo but yeah I mean you you really do just want them like you would think that you would just look at the Sixers with Ben Simmons as the actual like nominal point guard and just be like you know what LeBron if you want to do it like you're going to play this role either way so what's the point in having a nominal point guard next to you it's right. just, it's just stupid.
1: No purpose. Rondo does not do anything for LeBron James because he doesn't like to play off the ball, and he, I mean, he pro- he'd probably be a good catch and shoot guy, but like that just does. That's not what he does. It's not how right. he operates. Never has been, and it's not going to change this year, with less floor spacing around.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. You mentioned Dwight Howard, who is the other, of course, the big story with the Lakers because DeMarcus Cousins, unfortunately, suffered the torn ACL. So they bring in Howard for round two after his disastrous one-year stint back in 2012-2013. Do you think this one goes any better than last time? Do you buy into, like, this is the sixth straight year of he's going to reinvent himself? All right. <laughs> I think
1: I think he can if they reinvent their starting lineup first because (laughs) we've we've talked about this but let's say that rondo is starting at point guard and obviously lebron is starting obviously davis is starting they want to play a regular five next to anthony davis so that means dwight howard is the guy so the other starter is probably danny green that would make the most sense Mm -hmm. um what like that means you have rondo dwight howard and Anthony Davis, all of whom cannot shoot the three ball, with LeBron James coming off a bad year shooting the three, you have one certified <laughs> reliable shooter in your starting lineup. That is not putting Dwight Howard in a place to redeem himself. That's not putting the Lakers in a position to succeed. Like uh, full disclosure, I hate the Lakers, yeah. but but like watching that mismanagement of talent is going to drive me nuts because like (laughs) dwight howard could be good if they put him in a bench role and if they let him and rajan rondo run pick and rolls and just like let the big man feed in that way in his own Mm -hmm. specific bench role but like putting him in the starting five next to anthony davis i don't the only benefit to that is because anthony davis says he likes to play power forward and to save him wear and tear like that is the only possible benefit It's not going to allow Dwight Howard to reinvent himself, and it's just not good for the team overall. So I feel like he can, but I feel like it's going to take that come-to-Jesus moment, like, Mm -hmm. this is not working out the starting lineup. (laughs) We we have to change things.
0: Right. Right, yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. And I get that Anthony Davis does not want to play center and wants to save the wear and tear for the playoffs. That's cool. You also had JaVale McGee who has proven that he's willing to take the role that Dwight Howard always says he is and then immediately starts demanding post-ups. Like, if you have LeBron and Anthony Davis who are going to be two very, very high-usage players, regardless of who you start... You know, Danny Green's just going to be a catch-and-shoot guy. That's great. That's a perfect fit next to those two. Regardless of who you start at point guard, you should want a low-usage center who's not demanding touches, who's only there just to play defense, block shots, grab rebounds, get some offensive putbacks... That's McGee. And then you can have Dwight Howard coming off the bench with, as you said, if Rondo and Howard come off the bench with KCP, with Quinn Cook, with, you know, they have a bunch of shooters with Jared Dudley. That's almost like the old, like, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s magic, where I know Rondo is not a great three point shooter, but a pick and roll player with him, with three shooters around him, that's the way to maximize him as well. And yeah. that will give him the opportunity, like you he can be that that anchor on the second unit. That you know, if he's insistent on, you know he says he's willing to just play defense and black shots and grab rebounds, but like we all know he's gonna wanna score at some <laughs> point. That would give him the opportunity to be that offensive anchor in the second unit, give them some scoring punch off the bench. Like this, the Lakers, I feel like you're right. They're they're a puzzle, and it's very easy to see the correct orientation <laughs> of these pieces. But you right. can just already anticipate it's not going to end up that way until like maybe 40 or 50 games in the season, if not longer.
1: No, and and you brought up a good point about McGee. Is that I should qualify? Like they could very well start McGee, and I think that's what they'll end up going to, just because like we've talked about Dwight Howard in the starting five does not maximize his role or the role of the guys around him. But, like, it it feels like they're going to start off with Dwight Howard. It just feels (laughs) like he's a – and he has a lot left in the tank. Like, you look at his numbers, like, before the Wizards injury stunted season. Yeah. Like, the dude is still a double-double machine. He will gobble up rebounds. uh, He will block an occasional shot. And that kind of role is maximized off the bench. And like you said, a low-usage center like McGee – if you are going to have to, if you're going to be stubborn and play a center next to Anthony Davis, like McGee should be the choice. I just don't think he will be <laughs> right.
0: I, I would agree with that, but let, let's hope Frank Vogel comes to his senses sooner <laughs> than later. Um, but, you know, you mentioned, we were talking about the Clippers that you think it's the, the two LA teams are kind of the, the favorites in the West. So do you think, how, like, how do you match up them? You know, how, or how do you see them matching up? say, in a series against Denver or Utah or Houston, some of the other Western Conference favorites.
1: Right. I mean, I think for the regular season, they'll probably wind up in that two to five seed territory because I think, Mm -hmm. like we've talked about, it's going to take some trial and error. It shouldn't, but it will take some some trial and error to figure out who they're starting and what their rotations look like. Um, And again, like, you know, between Anthony Davis and LeBron James, like last year was the first year he missed significant time. And Anthony Davis, it feels like every year he misses (laughs) significant time. Like every, like I swear, it's like every two weeks I check my phone. It's like Anthony Davis left the game before halftime to to (laughs) head to the locker room. Like, great, what is it now? So I feel like there's going to be wear and tear and there's going to be load management because of what we saw with Kawhi last year. Um, But I think in the playoffs is when they will truly shine. I think that's when... They will cut, you know, the Dwight Howards and the Lance Stevensons from the rotation and start to <laughs> just go with that that really stellar lineup that we were talking about at the beginning, those mm. kind of lineups that maximize their talent and play to the matchups. Um, you know, I, I just think I think come the final stretch of the regular season it's gonna be interesting to see how they manage their seeding because mm. I'm assuming there's gonna be a lot of teams neck and neck in that region. And, you know, I I think the Clippers are going to win a lot of games. I think the Nuggets are going to churn out wins. And I think the Rockets, like you look at James Harden and Russell Westbrook, those guys are just maniacs during the regular season. Like they're, it doesn't make sense that that pairing, but they're going to make it work during the regular season and win like 55 games or so. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I, I think in the playoffs is where this Lakers team will truly shine. We've seen it before with LeBron carrying lesser teams in the playoffs. You get him to the playoffs, you keep him healthy you throw in an Anthony Davis like they're going to be a brutal matchup for anybody yeah
0: yeah and, and you know you mentioned especially with the Clippers like they do have some major matchup advantages even going against a Paul George and a Kawhi Leonard so it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how the battle of LA shakes out this year it'll be very mm-hmm. exciting Gerald let's go to the Phoenix Suns now because All right. <laughs> everyone's favorite team yes Um, let's start with Devin Booker who will have to face double teams at some point this year much to his chagrin yes Uh, famous anti-double team Devin Booker but uh what do you think are realistic expectations for him this season or what are you hoping to see out of him this season
1: you know, I'm hoping to see... Honestly, it's not even as much about him. I think Devin Booker has proven that on an individual level, he's very good at the basketball. Like, he's, <laughs> he he can score. He, right. he showed last year that he can score and also that he can playmake, like, almost seven assists mm-hmm. per game. He was the Suns' best point guard last year, and he's a shooting guard. Like, he, that's, that, that's also because they were playing Isaiah Cannon and two second-round rookies, but whatever. You know, like, he was still... <laughs> He's still their best point guard, best playmaker. Um, I think bringing in Rubio, we'll talk about him in a bit, but I think bringing in him will make his job so much easier because last year he had to do everything on offense. And people want to harp on his defense, but when you're playing for a 17-win team (laughs) and you have to do everything on one end of the floor, like, yeah, you're going to slack off on the other end. Um, I think for him it's going to be more of a focus on scoring this year and kind of secondary playmaking secondary creation um, because he has a guy that can get him shots off the ball, which he hasn't had for two years now. Like people forget, but coming into the draft, Devin Booker was like Clay Thompson, the poor man's Clay Thompson. Like he was a spot up shooter, off ball, JJ Redick movement kind of guy. Mm. Like hopefully the Suns can just get him a couple of those looks because so many of his threes over the last few years have been pull up. And we saw it last year, his, career worst three-point percentage it was around 32 percent a lot of that was because he was taking them off the dribble he has that in his arsenal but it's not as effective as a catch and shoot look and that's what he needs he needs a point guard who can do that so I think this year with more help around him the, sun, like the sun's got to get to 30 wins this year like they have to <laughs> like they really have to like you look at the west and it's as brutal as ever so the timing is terrible but right they can't have another sub thirty win season because he's the only good established thing that the Suns have right now. And the mm-hmm. minute that he loses faith in the front office, which it's a miracle he hasn't already, right? Like, the minute that happens, even if he is on a five year max extension, like he's gonna want out. And I have no idea how that scenario would shake out, but like he's he wants to win. He's he's tired of being seen as the good stats bad team player. And and for anyone that doesn't have to watch the Suns on a nightly basis like I do, like I don't blame them for thinking that's what he is, because you see the bad defense, you see the inflated numbers, you see the Suns win 19 games and you just assume, you know, good stats, bad team. Mm -hmm. I, I think this is the year where the pressure is on to really prove that he contributes to winning basketball. And the onus for that will be on his teammates and especially for Ayton because mm-hmm. if we want to talk about ex- expectations for Aiton, like the guy put up 16 and 10 on 58% shooting without a real point guard. <laughs> yeah, right. Like throwing entry passes last year was a problem for the Phoenix. <laughs> <It's a> little... <laughs> like they have a guy, P- Ricky Rubio is not a pick and roll maestro. I think he was like in the 39th percentile in pick and roll efficiency last year, which is not good. But he was good. He was in the upper brackets for uh, drives to the basket and dump-offs. And Aiton cleans up around the basket. Like, if there's one thing that Aiton does exceedingly well, it is finish around the basket. So Mm -hmm. I think he's in line for a big season. The thing with him is whether he will improve enough defensively with his rim protection for it to matter. Mm -hmm. Because that's going to determine his true ceiling. And I think that's why the addition of Aaron Baines is so big because he's a defensive-minded center, because he's a guy that's going to knock Aiton on his ass in practice and toughen him up a little bit, that's what he needs. He needs to to improve his conditioning, his strength, and his mentality to contest those shots that he kind of just let go last season because he was tired or because he wasn't mentally locked in. Mm -hmm. So I have big expectations for both of them. You look at the additions the Suns made, none of them alone are going to get them to 30 wins. This is all about putting accompanying talent around their – you know Kobe and Shaq 2.0. <laughs> I'm sure you love that comparison. Oh
0: god, I hate <laughs> it so much. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean I think you're totally spot on. Yeah, we'll hit Rubio in a second, but yeah, I mean Booker especially. I mean it, it's hard to or it's, it it's hard to forget sometimes that he's only 22. Like he doesn't right. turn 23 <laughs> until October. Like the kid is still super young. This is not like a kid who's hit his ceiling yet to be averaging almost 27 points and seven assists a game without a real point guard, as you noted, you know, he shot a career best 46.7% last year. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. Like Devin, you're right. Devin Booker is good at basketball. This should <laughs> not be in question. And the fact that it is, is only because he's on such a bad team. So I, for his sake and for your sake, for all Suns fans' sake, I, I do hope to see them improve to the point that we can at least start to have, you know, more nuanced conversations about Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, but Booker especially where, you know, like that was a predominant storyline this summer when he called off a double team in an offseason right. pickup game and people were like, oh, that means he's not a winner. Like, oh, my God. Can we, can we not? For it? like, we're gonna have nine months of these takes, guys. Let's let's chill for three. Yep. Um, so let's talk about Rubio because, as you mentioned, they have been devoid of a, it. It's kind of hilarious because they, a couple of years ago, they had too many point guards, and now yep. now they had zero point guards. They went, the pendulum swung way too far in the other direction, so they yep. swing it back. Sign Rubio to a. Uh, 3-year 51 million dollar deal. Um mm. obviously he's not a great shooter. Mm. Uh but you do still have Devin Booker there to help with that. But how do you see Rubio fitting in with Booker and with the rest of the Suns this year?
1: You know, you look at Devin Booker's skill set and you identify a couple of key traits that he needs in a point guard next to him for this team to contend and and the three biggest ones are um you know, obviously creation Off-ball shooting and defensive versatility. Rubio doesn't have all three because, as you noted, he's not a three-point shooter, except for like one lone fluky season that he had where he shot well. Mm -hmm. But he does bring he he you know he I don't know if he brings a defensive versatility to guard either front or backcourt spot, but he is a defensive presence that they haven't had in the backcourt in I want to say since Bledsoe and even Bledsoe when he was here. It was night in, night out. It kind of depended day and night, basically <laughs> right. with him. Right. So I think he brings that. He definitely takes pressure off Booker to do everything to both score and play make, which you know James Jones even said was unfair to ask of him last year. Mm. Um, he even admitted like they did not put their players in the best su- position to succeed. That's what <laughs> Rubio will help do this year. And it sounds terrible, but like the the vibe out of media day was literally like we want to compete night in and night out because we did not do that last year. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Like, and it's true. Like, you looked at the scoreboard so many times, they're down 15 or 20 in the second quarter, and you're like, God, we're doing this again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, they just, the body language was so bad. The effort was bad. Rubio will help in that respect. And, and mm-hmm. he, you know, we asked him questions about, you know, what, how do you see your game meshing with Aiton and Booker and all these other guys? And he was saying, like, Look, honestly, I could give you a generic answer, like the same one that I would give with Carl Anthony Towns and Donovan Mitchell about these young guys with talent that I can make better. But like, I honestly just want to watch film of their game and learn the intricacies of their game so I know what to do to put them in position to be successful because you look Mm -hmm. at them and they both put... He made the comparison. like They both put up great numbers. They came in with... There were a lot of expectations for them. They put up great numbers, but their teams didn't win. So mm-hmm. I want to help them, not number-wise, but winning-wise. And he mm-hmm. literally said that. And I'm just like, well, that's refreshing because the Suns haven't had a guy with that mindset ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, not not with this current iteration and probably not since Steve Nash, a point right. guard with that mindset. So I, I think Rubio is going to do wonders for this team as far as their abilities to compete. Obviously, he's overpaid a little bit, but not by that much. Like, his mm-hmm. annual salary is only average... And he is at least, at worst, an NBA average point guard. Like, he has his flaws. We all know about his shooting and um, his ability to stay healthy sometimes. But, like, you look at what he did for Spain, and he made the comparison between his Spanish team and this Suns team. Like, heading into the tournament, no one believed in them. No one saw them winning the whole thing. Suns aren't making the playoffs this year. But, like, if they win 30 to 35 games and they – make you know kind of a a light sacramento king's leap like the one that Mm -hmm. they made last year Mm -hmm. that is progress they need that kind of progress and i think rubio helps put them on that track
0: yeah no that that makes total sense and you're right you you don't need a like a superstar point guard who's going to put up 25 points a game because you have booker (laughs) and ayton you like those are the guys who ideally will shoulder a lot of the low you just need a table setter rubio could definitely be that guy so mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i i you know i lived through this with the process sixers too like you forget sometimes how much of a difference a replacement level point guard makes because like mm-hmm. with the sixers also <laughs> went through the isaiah cannon experiment and with yes. all due respect for the, to little sip like he's not an nba caliber starting point guard like no. if you're relying on him and you know especially the sixers too with the the bigs like they had noel and and was out for those first couple of years so okafor if you don't have someone to set the table for them they can't succeed like it it, it is shocking that deandre Aiden put up a 16 and 10 without a point guard <laughs> last year like it's exciting to think of what he right. could do with a guy I, like I think
1: Ricky Rubio. i think Rube... yeah and i mean like rubio's experience with fiba this summer his experience on winning teams like you talk to the guy and i know on media day everyone's optimistic and everyone like everyone's zero and zero everyone can make the playoffs but like talking to him his goal wasn't he never said playoffs he said we want mm-hmm. to be in the playoff race we want to compete on a night-to-night basis we want to develop winning habits and everyone says those type of things but you 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 feel it when you talk to a guy and you know that they understand that they just get it mm-hmm. and you know we kind of fell into that trap last year with trevor ariza and ryan anderson but at the same time like those guys didn't mean it as much like it wasn't as impressive and is just understandable that they knew what they were getting themselves into mm-hmm. this year i feel like it's different and this year it's not just two guys like they they brought in legitimate nba players they brought in um you know dario Sharge. they brought in aaron baines they brought in even like a guy like frank kaminsky yeah. just a guy who's been in the league and knows his role and is willing to help pad the bench depth like those are huge things. Rubio's obviously the the tip of that spear, but um, I think he has backup, and I think he's going to be bet. Like it boggled my mind that that ESPN survey where they voted the executives voted on the worst move of the summer, and Ricky Rubio to the Suns was tied with Terry Rozier to the Hornets as the worst move of the summer. Oh no! Oh, like, oh no! Like the Suns overpaid, <laughs> but they had to overpay. Like who are they right. going to get otherwise? <laughs> so. Right. At I, least Ricky
0: Rubio is good.
1: Yes, exactly. At least he's a we know he's a real NBA player. And the Suns <laughs> right? have the Suns have severely lacked those over the years, so I am much higher on the Rubio signing and I think a lot of people are here than, you know, the national audiences.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I I get it. like you're right. They they overpaid, so if you're looking at it objectively, like it's not a great signing in terms of value, but you're right. They had to overpay and mm-hmm. You know, I think you're spot on. Like, they're not going to make the playoffs this year, but incremental improvement, it, it, like, they absolutely have to have that because it's been a couple years now where they go into this every year, and you think, like, okay, they're going to, you know, start making strides toward 30 wins, 35 wins. And mm-hmm. the last four years, it's been 23, 24, <laughs> 21, and 19 like they're right. they're going backward at this yes. point <laughs> which is hard to do when you're at a floor when you're at 21 and 61 it's hard to go backward but they managed to do it last year and so they did. <laughs> so now like i think you're right you look at the sun's depth chart and honestly like they have eight or nine legit rotation guys you right. you you know you mentioned it they they brought in not only rubio but kelly Oubre jr they re-signed they bring in sharich you still have uh, Mikhail Bridges coming off the bench. You have Baines, Kaminsky. We'll see what happens with Cameron Johnson and Ty Jerome. They're two rookies. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tyler Johnson is still a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that is that is at least, in theory, a credible 9 to 10-man rotation.
1: Right. It's not terrible. It's And it's like double the amount of real rotation players, maybe triple, they've had in the past <laughs> couple seasons. Like you, And you look at... That's the other thing is you look at the instability over the last few years. Like mm-hmm. this is Devin Booker's fifth coach entering his fifth NBA season. Like oh, the, the the Phoenix Suns coaching position is like the freaking Defense Against the Dark Arts position in Hogwarts. <laughs> like new person every year. Like there's no way they're, these kids are learning how to defend themselves against the dark arts like this. Right. Like, so I I feel and two and then you talk about two GMs and you talk about the fact that entering this season he'll be playing with his 69th different teammate like wow that's that's just stupid like yeah n- nice but that's just stupid <laughs> like, <laughs> i i just i i really hope that this season is different not just for my sanity having to watch terrible basketball but because if it's not different this season like i don't know how you fix it like right i don't know what you can do like, you can't blow it up again because all your best players are young guys. Like, so yeah. what do you do? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think that Rubio will help change that. I think that a lot of these legitimate NBA players that they have now will help change that. But it's tough when you bring in that many new guys and have a new head coach and have these young guys who still need to develop habits. So it's going to be very interesting how Monty Williams handles that whole situation
0: yeah so before we move on from the suns what are your early impressions of uh monty and the job he's doing so far
1: yeah yeah i mean monty i'm very impressed with monty i i feel like igor kokoskov didn't get a fair shake but i feel like at the same time he had also lost his team a little bit like you could Mm. just tell there were nights the body language was bad um I think there was a little bit of a I don't want to say a language barrier, but he just they just didn't connect with their coach the way that I feel like they will with Monty because you know he's everyone knows he's well respected, mm. very well liked around the league like he is a player's coach but he's also strict enough to be a real coach like when you hear players coach you think of like a guy that's just cool with the guys and is like can speak to them on their level I don't see that as the type of player coach that Monty is. I think he's still maintains that distance, maintains that authority. And I think he's going to demand more out of guys like Booker and Aiton who were just kind of used to doing their thing and, and getting away with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, you hear him speak kind of like Rubio. He's very eloquent. He knows what he's talking about and you hear him speak and you're like, this guy gets it. Like, I don't know what pace the Suns will play at. I don't know what their defense is going to look like. I don't know what their offense is going to look like, but I do know that he has said, like he learned this from Pop, that if your systems are stifling your talent, your systems need to change. Like You need to yeah. develop your system for your players. So I think he's going to let Rubio and, and Booker kind of figure things out in the backcourt. I think he's going to let this team operate with spacing and Ayton in the middle, and I think it's going to be... I think it's going to lead to, I'm, I'm hoping for something in the 30 to 32 win range, just so they take any steps forward, which, <laughs> which you know, they, they won games in the teens last year, so that would right. still be a, a very big leap for them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, that's exactly what you, you, you can't skip steps of this process, like they're not going to go from 19 to 45 right away, especially given how deep the West is, so yes, if right. they go from 19 to the low 30s that's at least showing signs of progress showing signs that like hey this team isn't a total joke anymore Mm -hmm. you know i i still don't think they're going to be a free agent destination next summer but Mm -hmm. frankly the free agent class sucks next summer so that might not be such a bad thing (laughs) but just reestablishing credibility among players and like you know at a certain point you have to just like start from the bottom and start working your way up so
1: <laughs> right prayers up to the suns is good, yeah. All I can say, just stop drilling through rock bottom that's all i right ask. right
0: right <laughs> well you know you mentioned the sacramento kings as the mm-hmm. example for the phoenix suns to emulate so let's end on them because they were in a very similar boat to the suns for a lot of years you know they were just kind of mired in purgatory they lose to marcus cousins and you know they were in that like 20s to mid 30s win range for a decade basically and then yeah. <laughs> last season all of a sudden they take off De'Aaron fox the sophomore point guard has a breakout season buddy healed sets new career highs they go to 39 and 43 they were not mm-hmm. far off from a playoff spot mm-hmm. so let's start with De'Aaron fox um What do you think is in store for him given the leap he made from year one
1: to year two? What do you expect out of him now heading into his third season? You know, I'm actually pretty excited about him and the Kings. A lot of people are kind of like, I feel like they're being slept on a little bit with the progress they made last season. Like, it seems like no one's really projecting them in that playoff race. And obviously the West got better, but I think De'Aaron Fox, I think he's going to make another leap this season, honestly. Like, I would be... I'd be... Kind of surprised if his production tapered off, even with all the guys that he has around him, all the scorers um, that need to be fed. Um, De'Aaron Fox, man, for Suns fans, he's another one that got away. I swear, like we, like the like two of the Kings' oh, yeah. three best players are because the Suns messed up. Like they took Josh Jackson over De'Aaron Fox. They traded Bogdan Bogdanovich to the Kings in the Marquise Ch- Chris trade. Like (laughs) God, anyway, sorry. Don't want to get off topic, but yeah, De'Aaron Fox is, I was very impressed with the leaps that he made last season. I was very, I was kind of low on him after his rookie year. Um, You know, he had a couple of game winners, but other than that, like he was, it was a very underwhelming rookie campaign. And then he just grew in like every area where he needed to grow in his second season. Um, So I I think he's going to have another very good season Where he kind of establishes himself i thought he was a borderline all-star last year i don't know if he makes that leap this year but just because of the freaking talent in the west but um yeah i I think he has a big year in store this season
0: yeah i'm right with you i mean before he pulled out of team usa camp he was drawing rave reviews it sounded like everyone is just that's just a common theme with him like everyone's just blown away by his speed and like (laughs) He's still just so young. Like that, that speed isn't going anyway for at least for another couple years. Um, mm-hmm. The strides he made as a three point shooter, too, last season, you know, he went from 30.7% as a rookie to 37.1% as a sophomore. Somewhat low volume, but I mean, he did take 232 threes last year. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's, yeah, it's a, relatively small sample size he's not going to turn into steph curry overnight but you know for a guy whose big knock coming out of college was his jump shot if he can keep hitting in the high 30s the mid to high 30s like you know that's that's pretty good that's that's, that's what yeah. you want to see out of your young guys so yeah i'm i am likewise excited to see what he has in store this year and his backcourt partner in crime buddy healed uh, mm-hmm. also had a career year last year. Averaged a team-high 20.7 points, shot 42.7% from three-point range. It was not quite a career high because he shot 43.1% the year prior, but he took almost eight threes a game last year. So, mm-hmm. yeah. that, that, I mean, he, he's quickly developing into one of the NBA's most potent three-point shooters. Um, you know, if we're recording this in the October 1st, so the deadline to sign a rookie extension is about three weeks away do you think the king should
1: sign him to an extension that's a good question because i feel like you look at his numbers last year and they're pretty exceptional across the board like he developed like like you said he like the season before he shot a career high 43.1 percent but his uptick went from 5.13s to 7.9 a game. Like, mm-hmm. that's an insane increase in volume and to still be within less than a percentage point of where he was the season before is really good. Um, I don't... I, the thing about the Kings is I feel like they have multiple guys that could play the same position. Like, mm-hmm. you you look at Buddy Heald and Bogdan Bogdanovich. Like, how is that going to shake out for the long term? I don't know yet. And same thing, I mean, obviously Bagley has the inside track, but like Bagley and Harry Giles, like how mm-hmm. does that shake out long term? So there are still questions about they they've. There's no denying that they have young talent to build on. The question is like, how do they make those pieces fit? And if they don't fit, which ones do they turn into pieces that will? Yeah. Um, so I personally, I'm a little bit higher. On Bogdan Bogdanovich maybe I'm biased because I spent like three years tracking him overseas (laughs) (laughs) like waiting for our Serbian son to come home to Phoenix but (laughs) but I I feel like I I don't even like what what do you think an extension for him would look like like what range what salary figure would make sense for him that would both be fair to him and the progress he showed but also not you know hogtie them for when they when it's time for extensions for Fox and Bagley and Bogdanovich and all those young guys
0: right I know that's that's the tricky point uh to navigate because Bogdanovich is also going to be a restricted free agent next summer so I, mm-hmm. I think they kind of almost have to choose between one or the other right um I I wrote like a series on Forbes recently about you know, kind of these the big remaining extension decisions because we get you know Simmons, Jamal Murray, Karis Levert—they're all in the bag. So it was like Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram, uh, Sabonis, uh, Pascal Siakam, and then Buddy Hield. And of those five, I mean, if the Raptors are willing to max Siakam, I think that gets done. If not, I'm guessing that gets pushed off until next summer. Hmm. But like, I don't think Jalen Brown's getting an extension. I don't think Brandon Ingram's getting one. Sabonis maybe. Um, but healed is like the one where I could see it making sense for both sides, depending on, as you said, trying to find that middle ground. Like I, you should not give him the max. No. Um, but you know, I I think he's probably going to look at Zach Levine who got like close to, I think it was like four years, 78 million, somewhere around there.
1: Right. Uh,
0: he probably looks at that as a floor. So I would say, you know, somewhere in the like four years, $90 million range is probably what you're looking at especially you know i keep bringing this up and i'm going to for the rest of the year so i'm sorry in advance but next year's free agent class sucks like buddy healed is going to be one of the most desirable free agents if he hits the market so he and his agent know that and he they know if you know if if he has another season if he takes another jump like he did last year he very well could get a max next summer um Mm -hmm. the other tricky thing with him though is he's You know, he's 26 already, turns 27 in mid-December. He's Mm -hmm. old for a guy coming off of his rookie deal. Like, a lot of those guys figure, okay, you know, I have two big shots at a, a, or two shots at a big contract. Like, Mm -hmm. when I come off my rookie deal, and then when I come off that second deal, that's when I have my real shot at a max if I didn't get it already. Mm -hmm. But this is Buddy Heald's best shot at a big contract. So, it wouldn't shock me if he's trying to, push more into like the four year hundred million dollar range mm-hmm. at which point you know i i don't know how the kings feel about that so it'll yeah be interesting. i mean
1: honestly like honestly if it gets to four years 90 million i if i'm the kings i like i i think i table that like i don't know like <laughs> like like you mentioned like he will be one of the most coveted free agents next summer if he makes it that far mm-hmm. but Man, I, I I look at his production, I look at the year that he had last year, and I wonder if given his age, how much room for growth he has. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bogdanovich is actually older than Buddy Healed, obviously, so like you could make the argument there's not as much growth for him either. But you know, he he's only spent two years here stateside playing, you know, this NBA style of basketball. So I feel like his Ceiling is higher. I -hmm. feel like Buddy Hill's floor is definitely higher. I feel like Bogdanovich's ceiling is higher somehow. I don't know if you commit that much money to a guy that might be. I don't know. It's tough. I I feel he definitely showed he he had the better season last year for sure. Mm -hmm. I just man, four years, ninety million for Buddy Hill. That sounds like a lot. Maybe I'd feel better about it if they weren't paying freaking Harrison Barnes like. (laughs) That was, that was, that's one move I will, I just don't approve of at all, but right. yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one, man. That's yeah. a
0: tough one. Well, at least Harry B's contract descends every year by about $2 million, so that yeah. will help ease the pain a little bit. Ooh. Um, You mentioned the front court, so I want to quickly touch on that as well, because yes, they have Marvin Bagley and Harry Giles. They also signed Dwayne Dedman to a three-year $40 million deal to give them mm-hmm. some veteran presence and they brought in Rashawn holmes uh, i believe it was the two-year room exception or the yeah the two-year room exception for two years 10 million mm-hmm. um so they have a lot of bodies there now they still have a as well after he backed out on the sixers which i'm not still mad about <laughs> um, how do you see that front court
1: shaking out that's a really good question because i feel like dwayne deadman is kind of underrated in this discussion yes. I feel like he's a very good defensive and floor-spacing five, and that's yeah. what the Kings need, especially, like, playing him next to Bielitsa. That would be some pretty optimal spacing. Like, good luck stopping Darren Fox driving to the basket if he's got Buddy Heal, Bogdanovich, Bielitsa, Deadman around him. Like, mm-hmm. you can't leave any of those guys. Um, but, you know, then you, you you remember they still have Bagley, and they still have Giles, I mean Bagley spent a considerable amount of time coming off the bench and Giles his production and role was kind of all over the place last year Um, I don't know it kind of depends on what the goal for the Kings is this season like is it like obviously they want to make the playoffs but is it undeniably like the pressures on to make the playoffs or is it continue to feed the young guys and Mm -hmm. they brought in luke walton who was his job with the lakers was to feed the young guys but he also has experience coaching a playoff caliber team a title caliber team with the warriors so kind of mixed signals all around (laughs) it's 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 hard to read what what the king's goal is i I, they have a very good roster they brought in trevor reza who you know maybe he'll actually care um <laughs> he didn't have much reason to care with the Suns or with the Wizards last year. Right. But maybe he'll care on a more competitive team. They still have Harrison Barnes. Like they have established NBA players. They have young talent that's established. Um it's just hard to see like where how that front court shakes like you're look I'm looking on ESPN right now and Rashawn Holmes is listed as a small forward for some yeah. reason. Yeah. <laughs> like, like was their front court so crowded they had to like bump guys down positions? What's going on? <laughs> It's, it's I don't know how it shakes out. I think you start Bailey at the 4 for his floor spacing, and because he had a good season last year, I think you consider starting Deadman at the 5. And if not him, then I would almost go Bagley. But, you know, they like to play him at the 4 as well. So I, I don't know. Like, it's tough.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think it's, like, much like with the Lakers trying to figure out their lineup at <laughs> – with the Kings, it's not like they have puzzle pieces. No. And you can see it how it all fits together. Like this one is legit. I don't know, Luke Walton. I think he's just gonna. Hopefully, we'll just trot out a bunch of different lineups at the start of the year and just yeah. see which pieces fit best with one another. Because you're yeah. right. I mean, with the Bielitsa and Dedman front court, like that is a ton of spacing for Deer mm-hmm. and Fox. And Deadman was my favorite guy going into the summer because, like, every team's fan base was like oh yeah we'll sign Deadman for like 5 million (laughs) bucks he's like the perfect backup center and it's like okay well if everyone is thinking that he's probably (laughs) going to get a little bit more than 5 million so like the king's getting him for 3 year 40 I was just like I'm vindicated baby I knew (laughs) I knew someone was going to do it but you're right he is yeah I mean like ideally he is the perfect backup center but he's just a good center in general like he's Mm -hmm. a good modern day 5 And I really like his fit with this Kings roster. So you touched on it already, but what do you think the ceiling is for this team? And what do you think the goals should be knowing that, you know, they've, they've now missed the playoffs, I believe for 13 straight years. They haven't made it since 2005, (laughs) 2006 new coach. So maybe he doesn't feel the immediate pressure, but you would have to assume they would like to break that horribly long streak. Um, but as you as you noted, they have a bunch: Fox, Heald, Bagley in particular, Giles. You can even throw in there, and even Harrison Barnes is still somewhat young. Mm-hmm. They have a bunch of young guys who, you know, maybe you just want to continue developing them. So, how do you see this season shaking out for the Kings?
1: I think I think if you look at the additions that they made, Ariza, Deadman, like they're established NBA players, but there's not anyone that's going to throw off the trajectory of the focus being on the young players Mm -hmm. so i I think they were brought in obviously to enhance that talent and to give them that extra bump from you know 39 wins to 45 range is probably what they should aim for Mm -hmm. and i and i don't know if that's enough to make the playoffs in the west this season just because of the west (laughs) but i mean their goal should definitely be playoffs yeah. whether they make that goal I don't know like I see them in the 40 41 win range territory just because like every team in the west got better or stayed the same this summer <laughs> so right. like literally everyone except for like the grizzlies and that's it like, <laughs> like yeah. I don't like every team got better or stayed the same so I think if they improve on last season's 39 wins, that's still, even if they don't make the playoffs and it's a bummer for the Kings and their longest active playoff drought, mm-hmm. like I, st- I still feel like that, that would be success for them. For But, sure. yeah. but yeah, you definitely aim for the playoffs, though.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah, I see them right in that like, mix with the Pelicans and the Thunder, assuming mm-hmm. they don't blow up their entire roster, <laughs> and like the right. Timberwolves, where they could make the playoffs if things go right. But mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think they are favored to make it going into the year. But, I mean, of those four teams, like, I'm highest on the Kings and the Pelicans. I mean, I I, mm-hmm. I could see things going right, especially if one of the teams ahead of them suffers an injury and falls back a little bit. So, mm-hmm. it's, like, the first time that we've done this season preview in God knows how long where I said, like, genuinely bright future ahead for the Kings. But... Yeah. <laughs> It feels like the Sacramento Kings have a bright future, which is how you know hell has frozen over.
1: Right. Well, yeah. And you got to, again, give those props to the Suns because they helped make it. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome, Sacramento. (laughs) Well, on that
0: depressing note, Gerald, I think that's a good place to wrap up. So could you let our listeners know one more
1: time where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Sure thing. Uh, On Twitter, it's my full name, at Gerald. B O U R G U E T, and then on uh, my work, you can find it either through my Twitter account or uh, if you go to fansided.com and click on the NBA section. Check out our work at the Step Back. We have a lot of good stuff rolling out. Um, I'm doing a lot, quite a few Suns pieces in the wake of Media Day. So, for the two listeners out there who follow <laughs> the Suns, make sure to check that out.
0: <laughs> Very good, and and treat homie Dario well this year, please. <laughs> You can also find us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. Please follow us, uh, and you can find our handles in our bio as well. So follow us there. You can also find us on iTunes or wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five star reviews. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker. So check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporik, and I was joined today by Gerald Bourget. Have a good one, Gerald. Thanks, you too.